Hey, good morning, Harvest. So good to see all of you here this morning. Lynn and I have been really uh, very excited to come and spend the weekend with you. Uh, in fact, one of the favorite things that Lynn and I get to do is one of our ministries that uh, back home is to visit uh, many of our churches and uh, just to kind of really see the people, meet the people, see what God is doing. And I'm telling you, you don't have to be around here very long before you just realize there's a great unity here. People love the Lord here. You guys are fired up. And that's a great thing. You are. Okay, a couple of you are. But um, it's really great to be with uh, Doug and Karen again. Uh, we love them very much. I want you to know that your pastor is very highly esteemed in our fellowship. And as a, as a guy who loves the Lord and is uh, making a, an impact uh, with this church uh, here in this area and has a heart to see people come to know Christ and disciples being made, I was just thinking it was just this month, they're so committed to our fellowship. Doug was down teaching the guys in the training center. Karen was down a little earlier uh, pouring into our, our pastor's wives. And so you have a, I know you guys love your pastor. I know that. I see that, that you guys, uh, yeah. You do. You can, you can just tell that when you're around you. But uh, they're very committed to our fellowship. And uh, they're very committed to you. And it's just really, really fun uh, to be here this weekend. And uh, just to see what God is doing here. And so it's really a joy to bring, uh, in a sense, greetings from Pastor James and our elders and staff back at uh, Rolling Meadows. And uh, I also bring greetings from Kent Sean, Harvest Bible Fellowship. And uh, I really believe that one of the greatest things that uh, has come out of Harvest is our fellowship. And uh, we just have great relationships. It's, like I say, it's always great to be together with some of our pastors and to see how God is using them, but just our commitment to church planting. And uh, as many of you know, our heart is to plant churches that want to plant churches. And uh, that, it's great just to see how God is doing that really around the world as uh, we're just trying to do our best to make an impact uh, for his kingdom. So thank you for your support. Thank you for your uh, commitment uh, to church planting and the way that you do that by loaning us your pastor and by financially supporting uh, what we're doing really together. And so it's great to be with you this morning. And so uh, this happened a few years ago. Uh, actually, it's a true story. Um, it was when my kids were much younger. They're both married now. but uh, So it was, it was a while ago. But I remember it was a Sunday, and uh, we had finished the services at church, and uh, we had some meetings after. So we were a little later getting away from, at that point, we were meeting in the high school. And uh, I, re I remember, you know, we were heading back. It was almost supper time, and our kids were kind of saying, Hey, Mom and Dad, can we go to McDonald's? Can we go to McDonald's? And, okay, we can go to McDonald's. And so there was one near our house, and we stopped to get something to eat. And it was, it was really unusual, because I remember walking into the McDonald's with, my, with my Lynn and my two kids, and it was almost empty. I, when do you ever go into McDonald's, and it's almost empty? But I just remember, it was almost empty. Except for, so we walked in, I remember there was these two like high school, college-age boys that were sitting over here, and we kind of got our food, and we kind of turned to see where we were going to sit, and the whole place was empty except for them. I don't know why we did, but we just kind of walked over. I remember going to the other side, and we sat down, and we started eating our food together. And as we were just kind of talking and enjoying one another, I remember just kind of, because I could see these two boys sitting over there. I was sitting this way. I saw in the door over here two other college boys uh, kind of came walking in and walked over to these guys, but it was what they were carrying that kind of caught my attention. Uh, one of them was carrying like, I don't know, maybe a two by four about that big in his hand. And uh, one of them had a lead pipe. 
you know, in his hand about that big. And I don't know, I, I didn't really give it much thought. I thought, you know, maybe they're doing a little workout in the parking lot or something. And <laughs> I know, I'm very naive. But, um, but, you know, I didn't pay much attention. And they were just kind of walked over and started talking to these two boys. When all of a sudden, you know, the guy with the two by four, I just saw him kind of wind up with it. And all of a sudden he just swung it and he cleared the table where those boys were sitting of everything. I mean, there was Big Macs and fries and salt and pepper shakers. There was flying all over the restaurant. But he wasn't done. I saw this kid, like, that, that kind of got all our attention, if you know what I mean. But all of a sudden I see this same kid, he wound up with that two by four right up over his head and he swung it down and he hit the one kid that was sitting in front of him, hit him right here, kind of on the neck and the shoulder. He hit him so hard, he fell out of his chair onto the floor. Have you ever been in one of those moments where you're just sitting there watching something and you're kind of like, I, I can't believe that just happened? Well, my wife, Lynn, was sitting beside me. She's five feet, three inches tall. She gets up out of her chair and she starts running across the restaurant like this going, you boys stop that. You boys stop that right now. And there was my wife, nose to nose, with these two guys who, by the way, still had those things in their hand, the two by four and their lead pipe. And I was going, you boys stop that. You boys stop that right now. Well, as soon as I could get out from under our table, you know, somebody had to protect the children, right? Right? Actually, Lynn and I were both over there together. And there was just this moment where we weren't sure what was going to happen. Also, those two boys decided we're running out of the restaurant. Lynn wasn't finished. She went running after the boys through the restaurant, out into the parking lot as they were climbing into the cars and they took off and she wrote down their license plate number because the manager of the restaurant by that time had called the police. They came in, we told them what happened and good for Lynn, she was able to hand them their license plate number. They caught the boys. We kind of heard about the story after. They had their day in court. They got what was coming to them. There was a good end to the story. You see, there was a good end to the story because when the crisis came, my wife Lynn acted immediately and decisively in a way that brought about a good end to the crisis, right? Well, look, I didn't come all the way here this weekend to tell you about this story at McDonald's. It's kind of, we laugh about it now as a family. We realize, you know, God kind of protected us. It could have gone in a very different way, but you're just responding in the moment, but here's what I came here to tell you. I got to believe in a room this big. There's some people right now that are going through a crisis. Well, you know what? If you're not going through a crisis right now, you know, the scripture makes it really clear to us that that crisis is just around the corner. It's coming. And I would say the same to us as believers, and it's this. When the crisis comes, we must act immediately and decisively based on the principles of God's word. 
if God's going to be able to use that crisis in the way that he wants to in our life to accomplish his, his purposes to help us to grow and to see who's his good hand even in the midst of painful circumstances. How to respond in a crisis. I love the Old Testament, do you? I love the Old Testament because there's so, you just read these stories of people. Sometimes we want to put them up on a pedestal, but these people so often are just like us. They're really no different than us. They love God. They love his word. They were trying to follow him. They didn't always do it perfectly, just like we don't. But you know what? The person that we want to look at this morning is, is David. I love the life of David. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. There's this great story uh, of the life of David. And uh, he was in a crisis. And uh, his life teaches us these three. It's just so clear in the story. These three principles that if we'll apply them to our life like he did in the crisis, God can use it for his good uh, in our life. 1 Samuel chapter 30. I'm going to start reading at verse 1. Just follow along uh, to verse 6. And it says this. Now when David and his men came to Ziglag on the third day, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Nagab and against Ziglag. They had overcome Ziglag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and they wept until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive. Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. Now here comes the key verse. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. Again, I believe this, prince, this, this story is going to show us from the life of David three very clear principles as to how to respond in a crisis. But before we do that, let's just pray. Father, I'm thankful for the opportunity to be here this morning. I'm thankful to be in this place. Thank you for the freedoms that we enjoy here, that we can worship you freely. Thank you for this beautiful place that you have uh, provided for this church family to to do ministry, to reach the lives of people in their community. And God, I just pray that that process would increase, that more people would come to know you and be discipled in their faith. What a joy it is to come to worship you together this morning. And Lord, now we worship you as we look into your word. And uh, I'm just praying now that you would prepare our hearts. Would you, Lord? Would you make our hearts tender, soft, Would the soil of our heart be ready to receive your word this morning? Would it take root in our heart and bear the right fruit in our heart as well, in our life? Help me, God. I'm just your messenger today. We want to hear from you. And so I just pray that you would help me to communicate your word clearly and practically. I pray that we would be those who would take it and live it this week. So God, we thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, there's three principles. Here comes the first one. You see this right from the life of David, and it's this. 
All right? In the crisis, I must remember who God is. In the crisis, I must remember who God is. I'm going to show you where that comes from. It comes right from the story. But let me just give you a little context to what we just read. Uh, David and his men had just finished walking 75 miles in three days. Uh, They were returning from a battle that they never got to fight. And as you can imagine, David and his men, they're, they're tired and they're hungry. And they're being, looking forward to being reunited with their wives and children. But as David and his men come up and over the hill and ready to come down to their homes, listen, there were no children running to meet them. There were no wives waiting to welcome them home. Everyone and everything is gone. Only the sound of the smoldering ashes of their burned out homes broke the silence as David and his men stood there in shock. What what had happened? Who would have done such a thing? The answer, who did it? It's right there in verse 1. Who did this? Yeah, this is important to the story. It's a group of people called the Amalekites. Now, who are the Amalekites? Why were they important to the story? Well, let me tell you. A little bit about the Amalekites is this. They were actually a nomadic group of people. They were descendants that dated all the way back uh, to Esau. And they had been constant enemies of Israel dating all the way back to the time of the Exodus. In fact, some of you will remember this story. It's recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, When Moses and the people of Israel came out of Egypt... It was the Amalekites who were the first country to attack them at a time when Israel was very weak and vulnerable. But do you remember this story? God gave Moses and the people of Israel a miraculous victory over the Amalekites. And after that battle, God made a promise to Moses. Do you remember what it was? He said this, one day, one day. I will take my vengeance on the Amalekites because of what they did to you today. Now, I want to step out of our story in a sense, and I don't want you to miss this principle because this is, in a sense, simple. But I believe there's some people here this morning that need to hear this one simple truth, and this is it. God is faithful to his promises. Some of you might want to write that down. God is faithful to to his promises. Now you might be saying, now Rick, where does that come from? Well, it's, oh, this whole Amalekite thing. Now let me tell you, God is faithful to his promises. God does not forget. God does not overlook his promises. And listen, almost a hundred years or more had passed since that battle had been won by Moses and the people of Israel. And God had made that promise to Moses that one day he would take his vengeance on the Amalekites. And without David even knowing at this point, God was about to raise up David and his men to be the instrument of his vengeance. He was going to be the fulfillment of that promise made many years ago. Listen to me, loved ones. God is faithful to his promises. And I'm telling you, we can be like these people. When we don't see God act when we think he should and quickly, we can begin to doubt him in the crisis. Listen to me. God does not forget. God does not overlook. His timing is always right. God is faithful. He is to his promises. Okay, let's go back to the story. Do you see the crisis that David had going on in his life right now? As we were reading that story, do you see what was going on? There's two things going on here. Number one, David's heart is heavy and broken. I mean, put yourself in in his shoes. 
David's heart is heavy. It's grieving. He's grieving the loss of his own wives and children. He doesn't know if they're dead or alive and where they are and, and, and who's got them exactly. And his heart is broken and grieving just like the rest of his men. But on top of that, what else is going on in the story at this point? What do these 600 men, men who had fought with David, men who had followed him faithfully, men who had gone into battle with him many times, what were these 600 men talking about doing right now? Out of their own grief, over their own wives and children, they felt like somebody's got to pay, somebody's responsible for this, and they talked about picking up stones and stoning David. It's your fault they were about to take his life. I'm telling you, as you can see this in the story, don't miss it. David had a crisis going on in his life. Now, you come to verse 6, and this is where this principle comes from. Because you come to verse 6, and don't miss it. How did, what did David do? How did he respond in the crisis? Do you see it? What's it say in verse 6? Remember I said, here's the key verse. What's it say? Look, he says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord, his God. Key word? He strengthened himself. Now, what's that word mean? Okay, do a little research. It means this. It means to go strong, to go courageous, to grow mighty. That's what was happening right in the midst of the crisis. David wasn't becoming fearful and paralyzed and doubting God. That was the complete opposite. It says he strengthened himself. He was growing strong and mighty and courageous. But listen, he wasn't finding that in himself. Where was that coming from? He was finding it in his God. As David reminded himself, who is my God? Who have I known him to be? And what will he be even in this crisis? Listen, loved ones. Don't miss this principle from David's life. In the crisis, the first thing I must do is, I must remember who God is. He doesn't change. He'll be the same. This is an important sentence, and it's this. A right response in the crisis has everything to do with right and biblical thinking. And I want you to think about that for a moment. A right, if I'm going to respond correctly in the crisis, a right response in the crisis has everything to do with right and biblical thinking about who I know, based on his word, who I know God is and how he works in the midst of a crisis. What are the promises that he's made to me? That's what it means to strengthen yourself in the Lord your God. So let's make this really practical. I thought about that. How has, who has God revealed himself to be? And how, what are some of the promises that he's made to us in his word about how he works in the midst of a crisis? I could have given you pages, all right? I chose seven. Hopefully these will be encouraging to you. Remember who God is. Here's four things the scripture tells us about who God is. Number one, do I really believe that God is in control? Do you? In that crisis? Do I really believe that God is in control? And that nothing passes into my life, good or bad, that God does not allow? That's what Lamentations 3 verses 37 and 38 tell us. Here's number two. Do I really believe that God loves me unconditionally? And that his ways, even when I don't understand them, that his ways are always best. That's what scripture tells me, Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. 
Number three, do I really believe that there is nothing that can come into my life that God's grace is not sufficient for? Aren't you thankful for that? That's what he's promised, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. And then lastly, here's number four. Do I really believe, we sung this in one of our songs this morning, do I really believe that God is good? Do you believe that? Even in the crisis, he is. Do I really believe that God is good and that he is always at work for my best? Romans chapter 8, verse 28. There's just four promises of how God, who he's revealed himself to be that strengthens us when we remind ourselves in the midst of the crisis. But that wasn't all. Let me just give you three things about what does God, how does he want to use the crisis in my life? Here's some promises he's made to us, three of them. Number one, do I really believe that suffering and hardship is a tool that a loving and faithful God uses to purify me and to make me more like himself? He does. James chapter 1. Number two, do I really believe that in the midst of hardship that God uses them to build my faith and that I will experience greater intimacy with him? That's one of the tools he uses to do that in our life. Crisis. Here's his third thing. Do I really believe that God is using my situation to not only strengthen my faith, but as I'm walking through the crisis to be a witness and a ministry to others of God's sustaining power. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Listen, loved one. Learn this from the life of David. It's such a powerful example to us. When that crisis comes along, no matter what you're going through right now, or what you're going to go through, a right response starts with right and biblical thinking about who God is and how he works. Not based on what I feel, but what he's revealed and I know to be true in his word. Here's the second principle. Again, comes right from the story. I think it's very clear. In the crisis, I must respond to what God says. Again, comes right from the story. I'm gonna show you this in a minute. In the crisis, I must respond to what God says. Look at verses 7 to 9. This is where it comes from. As, it, uh, as the story continues, read on with me. It says this. And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David. And David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He, being God, answered him, pursue For you shall surely overtake, and you shall surely rescue. So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Bezor, where those who were left behind stayed. This is the second principle. In the crisis, I must respond to what God says. Now again, let me just give you a little background to the story. And here's the thing that really jumped out at me as soon as I just started reading this section, and it was this. If it was your wife and kids... Would you have to stand around wondering whether I should go after them or not? Come on, men, what would you do? I'd be like, let's go get them. What is there to talk about? I I, I love my wife. I love my kids. Like, I'm going, let's go. Who's with me? Is that what David did? Did he love his wife? Did he love his kids? Did all those men feel the same way? Absolutely they did. But what was the very first thing that David did? He sought the Lord for wisdom. 
Is that amazing? Every time I read that part of the story, I am convicted. And maybe you feel that way too. Because I think to myself, how many times in my personal life or with my family or even in ministry do I find myself in a situation where I don't take time to pray? I don't seek the Lord. I just kind of go, I've been here before. I've done this before. I have experience. I, I overcame that last time. And I'm running down the road, headstrong, going after it. And never pausing first to say, God, what do you want me to do? What would you say in this situation? No matter how obvious it might seem to us. That was David. He's a great example there for us. He pursued God first. And then, what's this whole, get me the ephod thing? Did you wonder that when I was reading that? Like, what on earth is an ephod and why was David calling for it? Well, if you're like me, uh, I had no idea either. And so when I was studying this, I thought, okay, I got to look up. What's an ephod? Do you know what an ephod is? An ephod was like, um, it was like a sleeveless vest that the high priest would wear over his ceremonial robes. On the front of that little vest that he would wear was a pouch. And in the pouch were these two little stones called the Urim and Thummim. You heard of those before? And that's exactly what David was after. Now, some of you are still looking at me going, I don't get it. Why was he after that? What was the big deal with the stones? Let me tell you. You see, God had given to the spiritual leaders of Israel, he had given them different ways of of determining his will. And one of them was by rolling the Urim and the Thumb in these two little stones. Now, let me explain them to you. Uh, The the Urim and Thumb were like these two identical flat stones. And on one side of the stones was the marking Urim, which meant to be cursed. On the other side of the stone was a marking uh, called Thummim, which meant to be perfect. So this is what they would do. And this is what David did. He got the stones out and he rolled them onto the ground like dice. And, deter- and based on how these two stones turned up, based on what God was leading him to do. And so if both stones turned up Urim, which meant to be cursed, God was saying, no, it's not my will, don't do it. If both the stones turned up thumbing to be perfect, God was saying, do it, that is my will, that's what I want you to do. If the stone turned up, one turned up Urim, and one turned up thumbing, I don't know, two out of three, you know, God's will wasn't clear, and sometimes they might roll the stones a little more, they might spend a little more time praying, but do you see what happened here in this story? What happened? The story makes it clear. Both the stones turned up thumbing to be perfect. And God said, go and pursue them, for you shall surely overtake them. God's will was very clear to David. And this is the part of the story that I just love. And this is the part of the story that really speaks to us in this principle. And it's this. When God's word is clear, do exactly what he says. I love this about David. There was no hesitation. He didn't question God. He didn't try to rationalize. When God's word was clear and his will was very... David immediately obeyed and did what God wanted him to do. Now, here's the question that kind of came to my mind. Because, you know, again, we try to always make God's word practical to our life. That's why he's giving it to us. And I thought to myself, all right, that's all a great part of the story and I see that very clearly in those verses 
But don't you think David could have come up with some pretty good reasons as to, okay, God, let's just slow this down a little bit. I got some reasons why maybe uh, obeying you right now when your will seems clear might not be a good idea. Can you think of some that David could have said? I jotted down four. Here's the first one. I could see David saying, God, hey, my men and I just finished walking 75 miles in three days. Man, we're tired. We're hungry. We haven't even eaten yet. We're just not physically ready to do this thing yet. Or, or how about this? I could see David saying, look, my heart's grieving. It's broken. I don't know where my wife and kids are. My men don't know either. They're grieving. God, just emotionally, we're just not ready to do this thing yet. Or how about David looking at God and saying this? Hey, God, I only got 600 men. I think there's a lot of Amalekites based on what they just did. Like, I don't even know if I got enough guys here to overtake them. Uh, Lord, I'm not even sure that numerically we're ready. Or here's the last excuse I thought of. Would have made sense. Hey, God, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go after them. So I find them. These amount, Then what do I do? Like, what's the plan? What's the strategy? God, we're just not strategically ready. Could you hear David maybe saying some of those things? He didn't say anything like that. When God's word and will was clear, immediate, total obedience. Well, let's not just talk about David. How did that apply to us? I thought about this because I just looked at my own life. And I thought, okay, God, your word, I hold it in my hands. As I'm going through a crisis, I can read your word. It's really clear to me. I wish I could say that I obey it every time. But I don't. And I bet some of you don't either. What are some things that we do when God's word is clear instead of obeying? All right, being like David. Here's one of the things we can do. Do you ever find yourself questioning God's word? I do sometimes. Okay, God, I've read that, but (laughs) you don't really mean that, do you? You don't really mean that. Or we do this. Have you ever negotiated with God? Okay, God, if you do this, then I'll do that. We negotiate. Or here's another thing that we like to do, or I'll do too. We'll rationalize with God. Have you ever done that with him? You know, God, your word's just too hard. You'll understand if I kind of just cut the corners a little bit. Well, here's the fourth thing that, and I am a little ashamed to say this. Sometimes I see what God's word does, and what do we do? We just outright disobey it. I got my own idea. I got my own plan. And then we wonder, why do we see so many believers walking around defeated and discouraged in their faith? It's because we won't take God at his word. So, last question. Let's make this really practical now. Is there something God's telling you to do this morning? Is there something that you know in right now you can feel the spirit of God? He's just fingering that thing in your life and his word and his will is really clear and you're just wrestling with it? I'm just telling you, learn from David. When God's word and will is clear, just do it. Here's some things we could be wrestling with. Is there a person that you need to forgive? 
Is it a relationship that you need to restore or maybe end because it's not pleasing to God? Is it a sin that you need to confess? An attitude or action that the Spirit of God is fingering in your life week after week. He wants to root that out. Or here's the last thing. Is it a step of faith or obedience that you know you need to take in that situation? Learn the second principle from David's life. In the crisis, I must respond to what God says. That's where the power is. Okay, there's a third principle here as we come to the end of the story. There's a third principle is this. In the crisis, I must receive God's provision. In the crisis, I must receive God's provision. Now, I wish I could read the whole last uh, end of this chapter to you, but we just don't have time. So I'm going to read three verses that give us a pretty good context. I'm going to read verses 11, 13, and 15. So the story continues on. David and his men are now going after the Amalekites. Now look at verse 11. And it says, They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread and he ate. And they gave him water to drink. Now down to verse 13. And David said to him, this is great, To whom do you belong and where are you from? Now watch this. And he said, I'm a young man of Egypt. Here it comes. Servant of a of an Amalekite. Do you think that caught their ears right there? A servant to an Amalekite. And my master left me behind. <laughs> nice guy, right? Because I fell sick three days ago. Now look down to verse 15. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master. And I will take you down to this band. This is such a cool part of the story, I'm telling you. This is a great part of the story. And here's the principle again. In the crisis, I must receive God's provision. Now, let me give you a little context again to what was going on. So, uh, David gets the ephod. He rolls the stones. God's will is very clear. Go after and pursue them. You'll overtake them. Now, just think about this for a moment. It wasn't like God handed David a map. And he was just kind of following it. And here's with an axe. There's the Amalekites. Just go that way. What did they do? It was a walk of faith. He just believed that God would be faithful to provide. So David and his men start out walking. Now, this is, this is a, a funny part of the story too. So David and his 600 men leave. They just believe that God's going to provide. And it tells us really clearly here in verse 13 what happens. One-third of David's men. They're not even halfway into the journey. And a third of David's men. So 200 of the 600 say, David, I'm too tired. I can't go on. Okay, men. I want you to think about this for a minute. How would you like to have that conversation with your wife and children when they were brought back after David and the men got them and you meet your wife and children and you're sitting at the brook and you said, sorry, honey, sorry, kids. I was just too tired to come after you. How was that conversation going to go? Uh, not good. All right. It, it, just, it just always strikes me funny about these guys. But here's the thing about David. What was David's response? If I was leading 600 guys and I was going after my wife and kids and I didn't know how many Amalekites there were, how many men would you want? 
I want every man that I could get. But how did David respond when these 200 guys say we're too tired? He says, no problem. Just stay here by the brook. Refresh yourselves. Uh, 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 relax. And when we go and get the wives and kids and everything that's dear to us, we will share it with you. Now, why could David say that? Why could he say that? Because David's trust wasn't in his men. David's trust was not in the strategy. Who is his trust in? It was in God. I think David would have gone by himself. Because he believed God would do exactly what he said he would do. So here's David and his men. Those guys stay behind. They're continuing to walk. Do you think there was a little conversation going on with some of these men? Do you think? As they were walking for a few days, kind of going, are we nuts? Are we just being foolish? We don't even know where we're going. You know, is David just walking us to our death? Listen, God's provision is going to come in his time. And they find this guy laying in the field. And they pick him up and they take him back to David. And they give him food and water. And then David asks him a few questions. He says, who are you and where are you from? This man says, I'm an Egyptian. I'm a servant of the Amalekite. And as soon as that man, that word came out of his mouth, David and the men must have jumped up and down for joy. Because they went, this is God's answer. This guy will take us to our wives and kids. And we're going to defeat that army. Is that amazing how God did that? I mean, I, I could close up my Bible right now and just kind of go, Let's, don't we have a great God? Isn't he awesome? And we'd all shake our heads. And, we, and it would be true. But the story's not over. There's a principle here. So it says, this, the story ends by saying that David and his men, they had this great worship service that night as they just praised and thanked God for his faithfulness and his provision. It says the next morning they came down over the hill and here were all these Amalekites celebrating and hooting and hollering and they were half drunk and worshiping their gods and it says that David and his men came down and they wiped them all out except for 400 young men who got away in camels and they got every wife, every child, everything that had been taken, God provided back for them. Now here's the principle. Don't miss this. Here's the principle I want to leave with you, and it's this. God's provision always follows our obedience. Do you see that in the story? God's provision always follows our obedience. Don't you wish you could flip that around? Don't you always feel like God's provision and then my obedience? That would be so much easier. But God says, no, 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 no. Your faith you stepping out, you in obedience, and then you'll see my provision in your life. Now, there's two things I just want to say about God's provision, and here they are very quickly. Number one, God's provision always comes according to his timing. It's so important that we remember that, especially in the crisis. As David and his men were following and walking, they had some questions. I'm sure they had some doubts at time. Is this really going to happen? But in God's timing, which was perfect and right on, his perfect provision through that Egyptian who took them to the Amalekites, that was God's provision, his timing. Listen, loved one, God's timing will be perfect in your life too as you walk in obedience and trusting him. But here's the second thing. God's provision always comes according to his timing. 
God's provision always comes his way. This is the other thing I see in this story. God's provision will come his way. Now, what do I mean by that? Listen, God has promised in his word that he will always meet our need, that he doesn't always meet our want. God's promised to meet your need. Now, listen, I want to say this carefully and gently. In the story we read here, God's provision was David and his men, they got their wives and their kids back. And that was a wonderful, miraculous provision. And sometimes God does that in our life. But sometimes God's provision is not getting our wife and kids back. We find his provision comes in a different way in our life, but it's just as meaningful and it's just as significant and he's just as faithful to his promise. Can I give you some examples of what I mean? Sometimes God's provision is a greater sense of his presence as we continue to walk through the trial. Sometimes God's provision is a greater portion of his grace. God giving to us exactly what we need at the moment that we need it as we continue to walk through that difficulty. Sometimes God's provision is his strength. Sometimes we wonder, how am I going to do another day of this? And we look back and we go, God, you were faithful. You walked me through that. Your strength was exactly what I needed. Or here's a third, fourth thing. Sometimes God's provision is increased faith. To trust him. To believe that an answer is coming. And that his provision will come in his timing. In his way. Lynn and I have experienced this in our life many different ways and times in our life. But I want to give you a story even just from our church. The year was 1997. And like you guys, we had just kind of moved into our very first building back in uh, Rolling Meadows. We bought this warehouse. We raised the money. God did a miraculous thing. And we built what we could. You know, we had some offices. We had a worship center. I remember even kind of building the gym. And the, the, the walls only came up that high because that's all we could afford. The balls were already bouncing outside of it. But we were excited. It was our own home. You guys know what that's like, right? I mean, you had a beautiful place here to do more ministry. The problem was we were outgrowing it. We were already in four, three or four services We needed more office space because our staff was growing. We needed more children's space. We needed a bigger worship center. But do you remember 1997? If you think back for a little, it was kind of like now. The economic time wasn't real great. People were out of jobs. So we were thinking like, how are we going to raise the money, God? We got to do something. So I remember one of these uh, companies that put up these big billboards along the expressways. I saw them when Lynn and I were driving down here. Well, we had one that sat right on our property. And that company came to our church, and this is what they said. They said, we're going to basically give you a boatload of money every year if you will let us uh, have that billboard and put up the advertising that we want to have. And I remember most of us as elders at that time went, God's awesome. That's his provision. I can't believe it. We had seven elders except for one elder. And I still remember that. And he said, eh, not so sure, guys. Not so sure. 
And he's saying, like, what if they put up some advertising that we don't feel good about or is directly opposed to what we're trying to teach our own people? I'm not so sure. And we were all kind of like, well, I'm sure we could come up with some reasons or some, some agreements as to what can go up there. Come on, man, this is God's provision. Don't you see it? So you know what we decided to do? Let's take a week and pray. You know, we do this by consensus. That's how elders. So, so let's take a week and we'll... And I remember walking into that meeting and the six of us, I kind of we think we're all going, that guy will change his mind. I can't believe he can't get on board. What is the matter with him? We came back a week later. Who changed their minds? God changed our minds. And I couldn't believe it. All six of us, we didn't even talk together, but we all came back and we went, I don't think this is right. I think that guy's right. And you know how sometimes in your head you're going, I know this is right, but in your heart you're kind of going, I can't believe I'm saying this. So we said no. I remember walking out of that meeting going, what did we just do? But we believed it was right. About four weeks later, little did we know this, that there was a church in our area that was closing down. That's kind of sad, isn't it? It was an evangelical church. It was closing down, and they were selling their church and their assets. And the people were coming to our church. It was just, it was just small. There was maybe like 15 or 20 of them. We didn't even know they were coming to our church yet. And they asked if they could have a meeting with us as elders. I'll never forget it. As that senior pastor and the chairman of their elder board sat across from us as elders, and they said, look, they told us a story. We're closing down our business. I'm sorry, our church. We're selling our assets. And he said, we believe God wants us to give you everything that we sell our church for. And do you know that added up to about a million dollars? And that was God's provision. And that became the base, the, the, the foundation money that started the building for building out what we have today. Listen, loved ones, these are simple principles, but they are so essential in the face of a crisis. In the crisis, you must remember who God is. In the crisis, you must do exactly what God's word says. And then here's that third one. In the crisis, get ready to receive God's provision. He will meet your need in his way and his timing. And it's always right. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. We're thankful that we can hold it in our hands and know it's true. It's right. Thank you for this story of David. Thank you for the, in a sense, for the crisis that he walked through and how he was such a great example to us today of these principles that he lived out. And we saw you meet his need and bless him in so many ways. God, forgive us. God, forgive me. We take things into our own hands. We lack faith try to solve it on our own. We question whether you're good or not. Lord, help us to be people who would not only believe these principles, believe who you are, but act upon them and see your provision in our life. May that be true in this church. May it be true in our church, Lord. You are good. You are faithful. Help us to trust you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.